Hi, you're listening to the Road to a Billion podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Georgi. Since 2011, I've sold over $700 million worth of products for both clients and my own companies. I've also founded or co-founded eight different businesses that have grossed between seven to nine figures in revenue. Today, I focus a lot of my time on teaching, training, and mentoring the next generation of freelancers and entrepreneurs. And that's why I created The Road to a Billion, a call-in radio show style podcast where I answer people's questions on mindset, business ownership, scaling funnels, copywriting, and more. If you want to submit a question, then check out the show notes to learn how, or visit me at stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe to opt into my email list. And every week, you'll get a link to join the live call-in show. And with that being said, let's go ahead and get started. Hey, you're listening to the Road to a Billion podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Georgi, and I'm glad to have you with me here today. The Road to a Billion is a call-in radio show style podcast where you can ask me questions about freelancing, copywriting, entrepreneurship, mindset, scaling funnels, money, really anything else. And you can also ask my guests those questions, including my incredible guests I have today, who I'll introduce in just a moment. Uh, the reason for the name, The Road to a Billion, is twofold. One is that I've hit about a billion dollars in sales between my own products and stuff I've done for clients uh, with copy and funnels and things like that. And I want to make an impact in the lives of a billion people over the next decade. We'll start taking your calls, aka answering your questions, about 30 minutes from now. And the way that works is if you're on the Zoom call, you just put your questions into the Q&A section. And then my good friend, Ed Ray, goes through, reviews those questions and feeds them to myself and my guests. And we bring you on live to be able to ask them. Ed, do you want to go ahead and say hello and introduce yourself to everybody? Hi, everybody. My name is Ed Ray. And uh, what do I do, Stefan? I don't even know. Like, I, I feel like I have to change every single time. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Facebook copywriter and uh, I really, really enjoy um, playing mind games with Zuck's algorithm so you don't get, uh, you don't get Zuck slapped. Yeah, don't, you don't get cucked by Zuck. That was still one of your best <laughs> terms. I really appreciated that. Um, anyway, you like that one, eh? I always, yeah, I always like that one. And um, yeah, compliance, but I know you do much more than just compliance, right? You don't yeah. want to be in a, in a box here. So awesome, Ed. We're glad to have you. And my guest today is amazing. My guest is Eric Sue. Um, if you don't know Eric, he's had a really unique entrepreneurial journey going from an academic and social failure at a young age and devoting all of his time to video games to becoming a wildly successful entrepreneur and podcaster by applying the mindset and skills he learned as a competitive esports gamer to real life situations. Uh, among his insane accomplishments, Eric is the CEO of the content intelligence software ClickFlow. He owns an ad agency, Single Grain, which is like an ad agency doesn't even really do it justice. They worked with everyone from like Amazon, Airbnb, Salesforce, Uber, uh, just a crazy who's who list and help those uh, different businesses to grow. Uh, he has two awesome podcasts, Marketing School with Neil Patel and Leveling Up, which combined have over 30 million downloads to date. He is the author of a new book called Leveling Up, How to Master the Game of Life, which we're going to be talking about as well. Uh, Eric, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, man. Super excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go right to Leveling Up. I know you've got that in your background, along with the uh, the Zelda kind of killer Zelda background. But um, so what's Leveling Up all about? And why did you write it? And, and you know, um, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. I got the physical copy over here too, but uh, so um, I, it's funny, someone asked me, Anthony Pompliano, who's a popular investor, really popular in the, in the crypto space. He asked me on his podcast, why are you doing a book? Nobody reads books anymore. And at least for me, and I'm pretty sure for you guys too, I love reading books, like I, physical books force me to focus. And so people say that you shouldn't write a book unless you have a message. And I think it's really important that there's over like there's only 3 billion people in the world that have played games and there's a stigma still tied to it but we now know that it's inevitable you look at how esports is growing i think the united states is lagging a little bit but everywhere else in the world it's you know it's going to become a top 3 thing um even in the united states and um you know for me my my whole thing is look everything i learned from gaming life is just a game right when you wake up and you play it like a game like when i wake up in the morning today you know, all the stuff you hear about sleep optimization, meditation, you know, training in the morning, you know, all the fasting stuff like those to me are all power ups, right? Those That's just me getting stronger in the morning. And then when my day starts, I'm so fired up to go, then I just, you know, I, I start my day. But then 
when you're doing business, when you're doing marketing, it's just all little puzzles that you're messing around with, little challenges. Let's say, let's say Ed's looking to hire someone, right? Um, sometimes you might lose that person and then you go find someone and then maybe the timing's better, right? And then you, you figure out, okay, now there's a game within, how do you incentivize that person, right? So there's games within games and the whole thing is fun. And the whole idea here is that it's not a zero something. There's not like a fourth quarter where, you know, the Super Bowl's on the line. You can keep playing this thing until it's over. And if you think with that long-term mindset, you're just going to want to play long-term games with long-term people. And it's just fun the whole time, right? So I think it's just a reframe for thinking about life and business in general. Yeah, that's an, an awesome reframe, actually. Um, I think you're, you're totally right, but I think it's a unique perspective to bring to it. Um, and it's actually, it's two funny things or two thoughts that come to my mind. One is, like Ed, you and I were talking about how you used to play this game, right? That kind of tried to turn your, your life into like an RPG. What was that called, Ed, that you used to do? Oh, uh, Habitica. Yeah, so I never even heard of that, but like, you were essentially like doing this on a, on a more of like a, I guess like it was, it was like an actual video game too. Explain what Hibidike is real quick. I'd love to hear. Unfortunately it. not. So basically it was like, um, you would, you would set, uh, goals and habits and stuff. So the, the, the whole gist of the game is to, is to gamify, um, your habit setting skills. Like for example, it's like, okay, every day, you know, I want to wake up at seven 30. Well, it's like, did you do this? Yes or no. And then every time you do that, uh, you level up your character and you can, you know, go on quests and missions with your friends. But unfortunately with, with this one, you couldn't actually like uh, play it, play your character. It was more like, a, oh, you can, you can do this quest now. So it's kind of like, it was, it was not bad. Um, yeah. But same principle of, of turning your habits, your, your skills, your life into um, something that's fun. By the way, Ed, you mentioned something really important. You mentioned player character. And so there's player characters and non-player characters. So those yeah. unfamiliar with gaming, just understand that player characters are actually controlled by you or human beings. Um, these are the ones that are actively doing things in the world and they can get stronger and stronger. The non-player characters, these are typically the computers. So you might have a character that is, you know, helping you, you know, giving you information or telling you things to do, but they're largely static. They don't move around and um, they, they stay static throughout life. And so most of what you see in, in, in real life, most people are most people. It Those are non-player characters, right? For whatever, for whatever reason, they just, they're stuck, right? But it's the, the player characters. These are the ones that continually improve 1% better every single day. They level up every single day. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Eric. I'm curious, do you, um within the book, do you sort of talk about a system for, for tracking that? Just like in a video game, you kind of have your experience bar or you are able to, Right, you can kind of track like how your skills are developing. Um, do you talk? Do you kind of share a system within the book for doing the same thing in real life? Yeah, I mean, for me, so the way I track in real life right now is just enterprise value of the companies. It's not like how much. Sure, yes, you should have profits. You should have, you know, you should figure the business out. But for me, it's just con continually building enterprise value. And then my ultimate goal at the end of it, I actually just copied it from the guy, uh, Chuck Feeney. He wrote this book called The Billionaire Who Wasn't, or someone wrote it about him. This guy's giving away $8 billion. He's actually pretty much broke now, but like, I'm like, dude, that sounds like a fun game. I just want to do that, right? So I I don't know if I'll ever hit the 8 billion, who knows, right? But this is about the journey to, to, to a billion. But even if I can do 10% of that, if I can give away $800 billion, or sorry, $800 million by the time I die, that'll, that'll, be, that'll be fun, right? So that's how I see it. Um, but in terms of measuring it, I mean, I fill out my journal every day and I have this one thing that reinforce like, Hey, this year I'm going to do this. Right. And then the next year hits, you know, the goal gets a little bigger. Right. But it's all tied to kind of enterprise value. And then, you know, I got my goals, you know, when I brush my teeth, I got a post-it talking about my annual goals and I have a post-it right here. That's the same exact post-it. And so I'm just constantly looking to reinforce things because it's so easy to get distracted and also for me to forget things. Right. Totally. And by the way, for everyone who's live now or who's going to watch this, uh, whether on YouTube or listen on iTunes later, uh, the domain where you can get Eric's book is levelingup.com. So very easy, simple to remember domain, levelingup.com. Um, Eric, who who's the book for, right? Like obviously entrepreneurs, right? entrepreneurs are going to enjoy it. Like our, you know, my audience is, is about half freelancers, half business owners. I mean, everyone's pretty much interested in marketing entrepreneurship, but um. You know, who, who's, who are the, the kind of, who was the core person when you were writing this book? Who were you really thinking about? I think it's really anybody that has played a game, even Duck Hunt or something like that, even Tetris has played a game in their life and they're looking to make a bigger impact on the world. Everything that I've learned from gaming, it's just the same thing as sports. You know, you learn collaboration, resilience, 
communication, teamwork, that type of stuff, right? That all comes together from gaming. You also learn that in sports as well. So to me, it's, it's, they're very similar. You can overtrain in both, obviously. You, you don't want to become too addicted to sports. You might tear your ACL, right? Um, now with, with, with gaming, you don't want to get too addicted because when I did, um, you know, I, it was really unhealthy habits, right? So the point is, it's really targeting the, the, the 3 billion people in the world that have played games, but also the parents, right? Because my parents really never bothered to ask questions like, why are you so interested in this? How is this helping you? Instead, they made uh, you know kind of blanket decisions on, hey, I'm going to take away your keyboard and your mouse unless you listen to me, right? So it's very authoritative. Uh, there was no like, hey, let's come to a deal. Um, so, you know, there's these battles going on with parents and their children right now. And it, this is the book that I wish I had where, you know, kind of both sides could take a look at it. Um, and the parents parents, by the way, they light up when I talk about this book because I'm on parenting podcasts right now too. I didn't understand this angle until I really started to think about it. I'm like, wow, this is working really well. So, and then finally you have, um, you know, the people that are um, just, you know, entrepreneurs looking to reframe, right? Because this entire book is basically on reframing. And what I would say is, you know, there's a lot of books out there about habits, about mental models. This book talks about power-ups, which to me could be habits, could be mental models, but the intersection really is, is my, my gaming experience. Nobody's kind of, you know, taken habits and gaming and put it together. So that's where I think the unique perspective is. But the short answer is um, it's really for the gamers and the parents. And then, um, you know, sure. The founders are entrepreneurs, if they're interested. Totally. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Edward, it was like dope concept. You like to said, I'm buying this book right now. I just, I just bought it. Um, yeah, this is, this is so cool. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> Sick. Yeah. Can we, can we do just pre-order it? I, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, I was in high school, middle school and high school, I was like a pretty addicted gamer myself. I really, um, I played. What'd you play? I played I was EverQuest. I don't know if you remember. Dude, okay. I played all, like what server were you on? Um, I was on, was it, uh, Brawl of Morales, was that what called? I forget. Okay, oh. I, yeah, I was on Solisec Road. Okay, so I, I won a best of the best championship in EverQuest. So I had that title. Wow. And I was 12 <laughs> years old. Yeah. But anyway, keep going. No, no, dude, that's awesome. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I can't remember server, but I can tell if you want to nerd out on like, even my, my friends that I have played with, we still talk about to this day, we'll joke about like getting yeah. a teleport to like Piranha Spires or like just... I can get really so, nerdy so on the you're, you're a you're a druid or a wizard. My uh, two of my friends were wizards. I was actually a bard, which is funny because a bard and yes, we're nerdy the fuck out, everybody. Um, yeah, yeah. like a jack of all trades, right type of yeah. character, and that's really who I am in my life as well. Um, so it's yeah. kind of funny how that that matches and reflects. Well, let's talk about this, right? So that's funny because I thought about this before. I used to always pick the jack of all trades characters, so I picked a druid, and mm -hmm. so um, th this is this is important. So my chapter on thievery, um is directly tied to me winning that championship because at 12 years old, I, we were in preliminaries and I got destroyed. I had no strategy and I got lucky with the, with the timing, the pairings um, where I got to watch our, our rival guild. So there's, there's a German guild and there's us, right? The two Uber guilds. And we were number one, they're number two. Um, she was crushing everyone. And I just copied because I had, I, I, this person was strafing around when they're fighting. And that basically means, you know, first person shooter skills. Right. And I had that for my quake days. And so I just copied her. I made it my, my own. And then after I won the championship, I didn't lose after I just swept everyone. And I was level 55. Everyone's the max level, level 60. And so I won and I was like, holy crap. All I have to do is copy people. Right. And what I mean by that is if you look at this mouse over here from Apple, um, Xerox, so Apple went to Xerox, they stole the mouse, right? They stole the GUI, the graphical user interface, right? But they, they made it their own, right? Steve Jobs himself has said, everything in life is a remix. When you think about SpaceX, the rocket's coming back, the way the rocket is designed hasn't changed much, right, from the past. But the big difference is it can come back to Earth, right? And the final thing is Picasso said that great artists steal. So I think we hold this whole, like, we have to be original thing really sacred. But at the end of the day, when you think about copywriting, we're swiping, we have these swipe files, right? We're just iterating. And the 10 to 20% uh, that you iterate, like, when you make it 10 to 20% yours, it basically is original, right? So that's the whole concept of, you know, thievery. And I'm it's trying to get people to reframe that it's okay to, you know, when you're learning from people, you actually are quote unquote stealing. Dude, 100%. I, I love that. There's a book called um, Steal Like an Artist, actually, even. And um, my license plate is says swipe on it. Because like, just like, I don't know, I had, I was buying the car that we can register it. Um, but I love that application. I mean, it, and it's cool looking at your mind and how you took that application from winning an EverQuest tournament when you were 12 and applying it to the business world, because I think that's absolutely right. Um, 
everyone gets so caught up on on trying to reinvent the wheel all the time and it's like just take the wheel that's working and then you know modify the wheel right you can make modifications and that's awesome but like we don't need we don't need a new steering wheel we're good the steering yeah. wheel works right um yeah that's that's amazing but yeah back to, i mean to the book i mean like it's um so yeah, I played a bunch of EverQuest. Like I, you know, I, I remember you could do uh, like you know backslash like play date or play time or whatever, and you'd look at yeah. it was like you know hundreds of days or something like that. And and yeah. um, but you know, I loved it. My parents didn't really understand, and yet I actually look back and have these really like fond memories. Right, they're some of the happiest times of my life. I definitely played a bit too much and all yeah. that. Um, but I think to to your point today, like like gaming is just growing massively, right? Like esports. You look at stuff like Roblox. Um, you look at social game, you look at Twitch and the amount of like time, like, right? Like that is like the reality. And I'm a parent of a young girl. Um, I know Neil, your, your partner in some ventures has a young child as well. And so I think for parents, like even for young like, toddlers, it's on our minds. Cause my daughter loves the tablet and she's playing like Khan Academy games and other games. And you know, it's something gonna get. So it's like, how do you navigate that? Because I think the idea of just completely like trying to, to keep them away from games, like doesn't make any sense. You solve problems in games, right? You develop critical thinking skills plus we're becoming a society like whether you like it or not unless you want to go live in the woods of montana that's more and more connected to like you know consoles and interfaces and so how do you how do you navigate that so what's some of the best advice that you have for parents um maybe in the book about how do they have those conversations or how do they understand um you know when their kids are going crazy on Fortnite or whatever it is how do they how do they kind of have those conversations with their kids yeah, I, I can't speak to kind of direct uh, advice on this because I don't have children yet. Right. Um, what I would say is um, I just I can speak to what I wished at the time. I, I think deep down what I really wished for my parents um, to do was to really acknowledge what I was doing and really, like I mentioned earlier, have that sense of curiosity. Um, but we had a really big fights because keep in mind, if I'm part of an Uber guild, I would come back from school, 6 p.m. the raid start. We end at about 10 or 11, if not more. Like if we get wiped, we have to go back, right? Um and so, and you know how those wipes are, they're a pain in the butt. Um, and so, you know, when things get really tense, like I would have a book in front of me, right? Like acting like I was doing homework, but there was like this deception that I had to do with my, my parents. And, um, you know, we, we, it would get really tense. Like I remember there'd be periods of time where um, I get in a big fight with my dad. I wouldn't talk to him. And then a big fight with my mom when I talked to him. These would go for weeks at a time. And I also got really, <laughs> my face got really fat at the time too, because when I wouldn't talk to my mom, she'd stop cooking for me. So my dad would take me to Burger King every day after school and get me two Whoppers with a Diet Coke to keep the fat off. And, um, you know, <laughs> that's what, that's what happened. But my point is just, I, I think for me, all I can say is, I would definitely like whether it's gaming or something else, just being curious about what my child is doing and helping them understanding, hey, what are you doing to get better? Because to your point, a lot of critical thinking skills, um, you learn how to manage your emotions as well. Like poker was was big for me for that. Um, you learn how to think in bets too. It's like all this stuff, like some of this stuff I think are, should be prerequisites, like learning how to play poker or, or chess um, in school should be required. For sure. Dude, that's funny. I feel like you and I have somewhat similar backgrounds, but um, I mean, cause so, and I don't make this episode about me, it's about you, but just after my senior year of high school, I kind of, when I finally sort of stopped playing EverQuest, I um, started playing poker. Cause I was in San Diego and the casinos were 18 up. I learned in 2003 at a friend's house, 2004 is when poker got really big. Mm -hmm. So I would just go after, sometimes I, during school, I'd like ditch, I'd have free lunch, free period, and then astronomy, which I could ditch, like, so I could have like a three and a half hour, four hour. You did this walk. in high school? Oh yeah, so I drive to Juan, <laughs> which is one of the Indian casinos. Uh, oh, I'd go play poker there and come back for the final end of the day and then go home. But then I would come home and I would take a nap, wake up, have a cup of coffee. And then I would go to Barona, which is another Indian casino at about five, five thirty, and play until about nine or nine thirty, and come home. And my parents at first for that were resistant, but then I was like, was stopped asking them for money was like buying my own stuff. Um, was like so happy. My grades went up and I had this great structure in my life. And I, I thought I was gonna become a poker professional poker player for a while and, and ended up not, but, um, I guess this is interesting that, so, so you, what's your background of poker? I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Um, but by the way, before we go to that, did your parents support what you're, cause it actually seems like they supported you when poker, you're doing yeah. that. Poker, poker? Yeah. EverQuest, they were not stoked. I think they tolerated EverQuest at best. Yeah. Um, they did not support it, uh, but poker, yeah. they, they weren't like super supportive. Like they weren't like, you know, yeah. coming to watch me play and, and cheering me on, but they were like, cool with it, you know? So so that, I mean, this is huge, right? Cause I've never been on a podcast where there's two different perspectives, right? So the, the, the Asian perspective is like, you know, complete like 
you know, shutdown, right? Like right. let's call it a lockdown, right? That's what it was. Um, on your end, it seems like they they tolerated it. And then also with poker, they supported you, right? So, I mean, how did that help your psyche? So for me, it was more so I have a big chip on my shoulder and I'm going to prove you wrong, right? For for blocking me on all this. How how are you feeling? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I felt lucky. I mean, I just, I remember just being so happy my whole senior year because it was like, I was taking classes mostly that I actually wanted to take because I'd gone through all the requisites, you know, so I didn't have to take like a math class, which I never, ironically, because of playing poker and, and doing business, I you know, was never a great math student, especially like abstract stuff that I just didn't think was like at all applicable, right? Was like later on, I took like statistics and um, I did like uh, advanced logic and actually really enjoyed that stuff. But like, um, you know, like calculus or like even like, like algebra two was like not into it. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I was taking classes I wanted my social, I just, I had a lot of confidence and I felt like this, this road of possibilities to me. Right. I felt like there's so much possibility and openness, which I think has influenced me to this day. Right. So I, yeah, I think that had a really positive influence. Wow. Okay. So that's huge right there. Right. So I, I think those, you can just draw from our conversation right here. You can see on one side, infinite possibilities, right? Like I kind of had to discover that later. Um, for me, I felt like I was blocked and, and kind of uh, oppressed, right? For lack of a better word. Um, but going to poker real quick. So I grew up in LA. Um, I, I actually went to college in UC San Diego. So okay. I, I'm very familiar with Verona. Um, so, you know, when I was 17, 18 years old, this was when the poker boom happened. And uh, I got crushed by all my friends. They would make fun of me. Like Eric, Eric's easy money has no idea what he's going. So coming from my gaming world, oh, okay. You're gonna look down on me fuck you. Right. Sorry. Cussing. But okay. like, and then, I, then I have to dominate everyone. Right. So I, it got to the point where it wasn't fun. They, they didn't like playing with me anymore. Cause I'd have all the chips at the end. Right. And these were all, these are cash games. So I, I would have everyone's money at the end. Um, and so eventually we took that over to the, we had the Morongo casino over here, the Indian yeah. casino. And um, I actually ended up going to that college the first two years. So I went to UC Riverside and um, I would go to Morongo every single day um, or I would play world of Warcraft. I would not go to class at all pretty unhealthy. Um, and then, at, you know, at 6am, I go get like a $6 burger from Carl's Jr. The guacamole one with uh, chili cheese fries as well. And a large raspberry iced tea it was really bad. But so um, with poker, I was playing, I got to the point where I was playing about 10 to 14 hours a day, but I was, I was winning um, a lot. I mean, you know, relatively speaking, I was win winning like 70 grand a year for college students, pretty yeah, good. Awesome. Um, so I played a lot of tournaments, I played a lot of cash games. And I played a lot at the casino too, but um, I don't regret it. And going back to what I was saying earlier, what I learned from poker and why you see some of the top VCs and, and entrepreneurs playing still on TV as well. I learned, most important thing, you can play, you can bring your A game three, six months, 12 months at a time, but variance will still catch you and you can still lose for 12 months in a row. And so it forces you to either learn how to control your emotions or you can completely lose your shit, right? And there were times in the very beginning where I just lose my shit. Sometimes I'd go home and I'd be like, I, I, might, I might scream, right? Um, and then it learns, it teaches you how to think like an investor, right? How to think and bet. So, you know, those of you that understand poker, if you're playing Texas Hold'em, if you're, if you're playing with like five people in a hand and you have a straight flush draw, dude, this is your chance to maybe 5X your money, right? Um, so a lot of these things in business, in the world, of, uh, in real life, you actually learn from poker. It, it teaches you, you train to be better in real life. That's what it is. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Um, yeah, you know, and thinking back to when I was 18 too, I think the other thing that I did is it gave me confidence. I don't know if you were considered, if you would have considered yourself a confident kid in like, you know, middle school and high school, but I feel like I wasn't really, I think I, I kind of, I mean, I used to, I was like fat when I was like younger. And then I, by, you know, middle of high school, I wasn't fat anymore, but I used to kind of carry that shit with you. Right. And, um, yeah. but and also being a jack of all trades, being a bard, I felt like I was kind of like, I was interested in history. I knew I was a decent writer, but like, I didn't have that thing. And suddenly with poker, it's like I did. And so like, I had this identity that like, oh, I'm good at this. I'm, I'm better than my friends. Kind of the same thing. We would do tournaments. My one friend would have these tournaments with like 40 of us and like they would like they kind of stopped inviting me because I would win the tournament every time you know um but to me it was like so cool that I, I had this identity finally um I think that's cool for a young person to have that that confidence level yeah I mean to your point though like it takes time to build it I, I think the fact that your parents tolerated and then they supported you like your confidence went up my confidence went up when I actually started to get good for, I, had, I had no confidence in the very beginning right I usually it's I'm the one that gets made fun of because I suck in the beginning but then like, as I start to get better, then it's like, oh, okay, here I come. Um, so I, I think it's just, you know, it's, um, 
it took time to develop that confidence. That's what it is. No, totally. I agree with that. And I think that's, that's super applicable to everything as well. So like, if you look at, you know, with copywriting, which obviously I'm uh, very immersed in that world as, as a kind of like a top copywriter and, and have a mastermind around it and all that stuff. Um, and I think that's one thing I talk about with those copywriters coming up too. I mean, I think people, cause people, I literally had someone email me today who joined my list and was like, Hey, my number one thing is how do I get confidence? And really it is, it's by getting wins, right? As you start to get wins and you get a positive feedback loop, whether it's like at the poker table or when you're gaming or you're copywriting or you're running a business and you're selling to customers and customers start buying and your business is growing. I mean, there's just no substitute for that experience of, of actually winning. Like it just, it just changes everything. Even if you, you can know it in your head, you can know that, all these things should happen, but it's all academic until you experience it. And um, you know, I think that's amazing. So one question as a, as a nice segue I just nailed is, you know, when it comes to the business world, um, you know, what, what were some of your early wins that started to help you to get, you know, feel confident within the road of the kind of like, you know, digital marketing, uh, your agency, like, uh, and really, I guess, how did you transition from a poker playing college student into this, you know, what, what you're doing today? I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Um, so I, there's a lot to unpack there. So I, I, you know, the reason I like business and marketing in general, is it's because it's like and really anything. It, it's a puzzle, right? So like I mentioned earlier, like if you're recruiting someone or doing a deal, there's games within the games over there. And so it's just a complete puzzle to me. And then, you know, the, the whole idea is you don't deserve to go to the next level until you beat the current one. It's the same thing as games, right? People complain about it. You know, um, you know, people are like, oh, you know, things aren't fair, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, but then you look at the people that have made it happen, right? So everyone has di different circumstances, but you, you can largely see that the people that have made it happen have, you know, they have a lot of the same habits and they have a lot of the same interests, right? Um, and so I think the moment for me was when I was about 25 years old, I uh, was leading marketing at this online education startup. And um, the CEO at the time, so I got promoted re really quickly. I didn't know how to manage. I didn't know how to do anything, but the, the confidence, right? Being promoted to that level, like, oh, I'm running a marketing team now, you know, managing 10 people have never done that before. Um, a month into it, he says, we're going to have to fire you. Uh, like if, like, if we don't hit numbers this month, we're going to have to let you go. And it's like, dude, like I've only been here for a month. And so I'm, I'm taking on the burden of the person that before me that couldn't do it. Right. So my poker mindset was like, okay, let's take a look at the ad accounts. Cause I shut everything down. I was like, I need to know what the hell is going on. I saw a semblance of traction within YouTube ads and it was growing, but for whatever reason it was shut down. So I was like, okay, you're going to fire me. Either I can cry about it. He's like, yeah, 80 people's families are riding on your shoulders. I still respect the guy a lot. But at the time, he's like, that type of pressure on me, I'm like, I was like, whoa, I'm actually not like scared or anything. This is great. Okay, you know what? All in. I bet the entire company on YouTube ads. All in bet, it worked, right? We went from acquiring like 300 users a month to about um, to about 1,500, then 3,500. And then I think it jumped up to 7,500. So then that helped us get our series B and then that company is doing well, right? So that moment was like, okay, huge confidence builder because like I could either crumble and then then I took my poker thing, the all the all in mentality and I just bet the company, right? Um, and so that was one of the biggest things. And then like a year after that, um, I came into a single grade ad agency and about six months after that, I actually took over the company and bought it for $2. I'm happy to talk about that, but that was a whole nother ordeal, so. Do you think looking back now with that YouTube um, bet, do you look at that as, was it like a, a strategic bet where you saw, you know, did you look at it as asymmetrical? Cause you're like the downside is that if it fails, well, things were failing anyway. And the upside is that, you know, it saves my job, but also saves these other people's jobs. Or do you feel like maybe looking back was it kind of like a reckless, like all in where you're just like, I hope this works. Like, um, you know, what was your, your mindset when you made that bet? I'm, I'm curious about that. I think unconsciously it was uh it was an asymmetrical bet because when i look at the single grain uh takeover that was an asymmetrical bet as well and i don't think i knew at the time that that was what i was doing unconsciously in the back of my mind um i did very much care about the 80 people and that did matter to me a lot so um and i didn't see any other way out i was like if i have to hit numbers this month this seems to be like the only way um and the numbers seem to reflect it already so you know, again, that comes from like this all in mentality when, when you think you have an edge and then the poker mindset, understanding that, Hey, like this is a straight flush draw It's better than a straight flush draw. It was probably like pocket aces. So <laughs> that's awesome, man. Um, yeah. I went, by the way, again, everyone who who's uh, watching now, or who's going to watch the replay or listen, you can get Eric's uh, new book leveling up how to master the game of life at leveling up.com. I know several people 
who are on the live uh, Zoom have already bought it. I'm definitely gonna get myself a copy as well. Um, I'm, I'm loving this conversation, it is fascinating. Uh, Eric, yeah, before we move to answering people's questions, which we will get to in a few minutes, um, I would love to hear, because I mean, Single Grain today has has worked with just, you know, a, a ridiculous who's who list of, of high level kind of clients. Um, and yet, you, you know, you bought it for $2 after six months, you said. So I would love to hear the, the story behind that. I mean, how did that come about? Yeah. So uh, my podcast co-host, Neil, is actually a partner in the company. And then we there's some other, you know, big names that were partners as well. So I came in as a number two um, and Neil had actually saw that the work that I did with Treehouse and he's like, hey, OK, you know, come help save this company. So I was like, oh, you know, at the time I started gaining confidence. Look at me. I'm a turnaround artist now. Right. The reality was, you know, all I did was bet on YouTube ads. And so we had a great product at Treehouse. Um, we had a great um, which is the company I was at. Great product, great team, uh, great leader you know, great vision. And the the thing here was like, oh, can I save a failing company where the work we were doing was no longer working because Google had changed their algorithm. So it was an SEO agency. And I was like, can I turn something around that's falling around? Can I basically keep the plane going while I change the engine? Right. And so um, six months into it, you know, the four partners are like, hey, it's, it's probably time to shut it down. Right. And then uh, Neil pulls me aside and he's like, hey, like, you know, as a friend, there's no brand equity here. There's nothing. Um, you should do something else. And I was like, hey, let me give it a shot. So um, I paid $2, uh, so $1 for 10% of Neil's shares, another dollar for another 10%, and the rest would pay through the, the profits of the company. So basically, you know, let's call it seller financing. Um, and I put in a contingency that if the company failed, I would owe nothing. So talking about asymmetric bets, this is where my upside is almost unlimited and my downside is capped. And my downside is actually upside to me because I get to learn a lot while not losing anything. And so it's like heads I win, but like tails I also win. So, you know, I did it, but I'll tell you the first year we dropped, I made it go from bad to worse because I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, you know, I read this book called Let My People Go Surfing from the Patagonia co-founder. So I was like, yeah, let my people go surfing. It's like, yeah, people don't want to be micromanaged. They don't want this, that. I was like, okay, I took it so literal that I stopped showing up to the office. So, so then like, it, it just, it just got really bad. Like I made uh, poor hiring, like, this is all my fault, by the way, I made all these bad decisions. And then a year it goes by my outside accounting firm calls me. They're like, Hey, I think it might be time to shut it down. And that was like the moment right there, because I had actually accepted a, a job offer that was high paying. We're talking like seven figures. And um, the day after I said, yes, I was like, Hey, I don't think I can do it, right? I can't accept the job offer. I got to keep going on this thing. So that's what happened. Slowly but surely, we turned it around. And the entire thesis, by the way, with Single Grain was if I take it over, the cash flows from an agency type of business, which is not as scalable, right? It's a great cash flow business. Can I take those cash flows and use it as my funding mechanism every single year to go find more exponential sources of revenue? So could be software, could be, you know, uh, e-commerce, could be could be buying other stuff, right? And then we can build enterprise value a lot faster. Cause then I don't need to go raise money from people all the time. Cause if I think I'm, you know, if I think I'm good as a marketer or an entrepreneur, I can just keep raising money from customers, right? Uh, there's nothing wrong with raising from VCs and all that. I just want to kind of do it on my terms. Cause I've seen the game being in the tech world. So. And so is that where something like ClickFlow kind of, did it come about partly because you were able to finance it um, through single grain? Is that, is that, was that an outgrowth of single grain? Yeah. So single, sorry. So click flows, the software. Um, yeah, we did finance a good chunk of it through the single ring cash flows. And then the, the other stuff that we have going on, when I think about marketing school, the podcast that costs money to do, we have an events business that that's tied to that, that, you know, we had to pause for a little bit and that you're part of, um, and we have other stuff that we're building out as well. So for me as a poker player, um, thinking long-term. So by the way, when you think like a poker player, you're actually thinking like an investor, right? The, the best ones think like the Warren Buffett's, the Charlie Munger's of the world. So to me, I'm like, okay, you know, Charlie Munger keeps compounding and sorry, and Warren, Warren Buffett is worth about $85 billion right now. He didn't make 84 billion of that until after his 65th birthday, right? He made it the, the billion at, at about age 58 or so. So it takes a long time to, to compound. And, you know, his secret is he constantly reinvested the prop profits, right? So sees candies, kicks out a bunch of profits. He goes find other deals and he invests in there. He's not constantly trying to take the profits out though. That's the key thing. And I think that's such a long-term mindset where it's like, as long as your nut is covered, like you just keep reinvesting it, compounding it. And you're not, there's nothing wrong with paying taxes to the government if you, if you want to take the profits, but 
that's another thing too, right? If you take the taxes out, if you live in a state like California, you're paying 50%, it slows the compounding down, right? So um, anyway, I did apply that mindset as well, that lends into it at the time, hoping that the acquisition would work and uh, somehow it worked. That's, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and and we won't talk too much about the, the kind of, so, you know, Eric has a mastermind with Neil Patel. Like I'm, I joined it, then COVID hit and um, the first one was gonna be up in the Bay Area and, and you know, like most, pretty much every mastermind things got can you know, events got canceled. They've done, they've done awesome. There's like trainings, resources, virtual, um, you know, events. I'm, I really joined for the in-person, so I haven't been hyperactive in it. I, but honestly, the group of people that I've seen that Eric and Neil have curated is really cool. You've got like the third generation owners of like Omaha Steaks in there. You've got just like a really eclectic mix of everyone from, you know, e-com digital marketers to like people who are running these like large legacy brands. So um, if you're interested in that at all, I would say get a hold of Eric as well. You guys are going to be started back up in 2021, right? Kind of. Yeah. We're looking at a Q3, like September or something. So yeah. Yeah. I'd be super, super cool. I'm excited for that. Awesome. Well, this has been amazing already. Um, we'll, we'll move to answering questions. So you have a question pop in the QA if you want to talk about you know, mindset, um, successful agencies, uh, you know, SaaS software, um, just really anything. And then before we do that, Ed, as my wonderful co-host, I'd love to give you the opportunity. Um, if you would love to, you know, if you want to ask Eric a question or two before we kick it to our audience. Dude. Uh, yeah, shit. There's, there's a lot, Eric. I'm like, I'm fascinated by your story and your book. I just sent you a frame across on Facebook, dude. Um, for sure. Because yeah, I I still I still game I play I play some league and some Steam games once in a while, <laughs> but um, how do you how do you kind of see the the future of education and um, gamification like merging? Yeah, well, I mean that's huge. I think the two most important problems are you know inequality and, and climate change, right? And, and education goes into that. Like the whole education system is broken right now. Um, I think the way education should go, my opinion, and this is what we're trying to do with marketing school is income share agreements, right? People can't afford, A, people can't afford to go into debt. Um, it's just, you know, by the way, this is why college is so expensive because they they knew that they can charge more because, you know, the government's subsidizing, you know, a lot of this, right? Yeah. Um, to, a, to a degree. And so, I think income share agreements, Lambda School is a perfect example of this, where um, they'll take a percentage of your salary for the first two years. And if you don't get a job in five years, that income share agreement goes away. So they'll educate you for free. By the way, when you get educated for free, you're going to be talking about to all the people around you, right? It's, it's natural marketing. The offer is so good. We talk about copywriting, right, in this, in this podcast. Um, and so it seems to make a lot of sense because, you know, in the world of marketing, I don't Think it's particularly hard to learn like i learned my my seo and my, my paid media foundations in, in 12 weeks um and i think we can do the same thing and to be able to train people up sure they can pay us like a, a flat fee or they can do the income share agreement it's very enticing because i think there's going to be a big reskilling that's going to happen and i think the vast majority of colleges are going to tank if you're a brand name college like a stanford harvard or yale you'll, pro you'll probably stick around but i think there's going to be a big shift um and i think tying in gamification to it I would be most fascinated when, um, you know, people talk about the blockchain, but if you think about the blockchain and education, the ability to be able to maybe slowly incentivize people if they're doing certain tasks and they're completing things in Asana or whatever for, for companies and they get these little microtransactions, um, that would be really cool. And there's, maybe you could earn badges while you do it and people can look at your ledger on the blockchain. Um, I think that's going to be the future of education. I think there's a long way to, to go for it, but that's how I see this stuff really, you know, real life application actually working for, for both education and gamification. Dude, that's, that's so cool. I agree with that. It's awesome. Yeah. It's super interesting. It makes, it does make perfect sense. Um, Cool. Do you have any other questions for Eric here? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I just want to say like, dude, I love that you're super passionate about uh, re reframing and reworking the education system. Custom, I'm very passionate about too. So like, dude, keep on keeping on. I love that. Appreciate it, man. Cool. Well, I think so far we just have one question, although again, I'd love to hear from more of you who are live. Um, right now I've got uh, Max Faria, I believe, right? Yeah. Ed? Max always got good questions. Cool. You want to set it up you and bring it. them on? I mean, I, I can always, I can always just like, you know, that for a bit. <laughs> Stefan, any code? Oh, good, man. Oh yeah, I'll bring a few codes. But yeah, let's, let's start with Max and then we'll see. I imagine what usually happens is like, there's one question and then it sparks I say that the and questions. then I want to start yeah, coming in. Yeah. So, um, Thank you. Cool. Yeah. So we have a, a question here from Max Uria about uniting video games and self-development. 
What's up, Max? What's up, guys? How you doing? I'm fine. Everything good here. <laughs> I love your story, uh, by the way, Eric. And we all have similar backgrounds, as I see it, in gaming. <laughs> Either betting or gaming, anything, you name it. So I was thinking, because as entrepreneurs and people that are really into self-development, maybe we've had an idea of video games that is negative in the sense that we waste a lot of time into it. And it usually serves as a avoidance mechanism for other pains going on in our lives. For example, uh, you talked about how you were doing bad in school. For me, it was the same. And then you go to video games. But I think, do you, th do you think there's a way in the future that video games and the game of life could be united to help young people. Yep. So, so my, my take on it is absolutely, I use it as an escape mechanism because this is the world where I was acknowledged, right? And this is where I was seen as quote unquote elite. And who doesn't want that type of feeling, right? There's a prestige type of effect to it. Um, you know, when you're 12 years old and you're playing in, in a Uber guild, right? A top team, like, like the Lakers as an example, right? I'm from LA. Um, and so, you know, when you're, when you're playing as part of a top team and you're 12 years old and then everyone else is like they're lawyers, they own planes and then there's college students, you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. And I think everyone wants that feeling of community, um, which is similar to kind of what we're doing right now. We're kind of interacting with each other. Um, but I think the easiest way to think about this is, like I mentioned earlier in this conversation, um, you know, when you're going into the world of gaming, you're going into a shadow world and just understand that you're going to train. and again if you overtrain you overdo it you know you're going to have negative consequences they're going to compound um, but if you train for a little bit and you, you bring it back to real life eventually um you can actually take those skills and make a bigger impact on the world and the the world the, the world of, of real life and, and business especially when you're doing things when you're accomplishing these quests you're getting stronger and stronger but you're also helping people along the way and then you're also getting to upgrade your your armor your home your weapons all these things um it's very real and it's tangible right um i think it's it's tough in the, in the world there's a lot of work to be done right it can get fairly toxic as well but let's bring it back to sports too i mentioned earlier if you overtrain you're going to tear your acl right if you overtrain like you know your muscles might burst or you might get some crazy injury right so there's um there's limits on, on, on kind of both. And by the way, a lot of these athletes that come out after they're done with the NFL or the NBA, a lot of them don't know what to do after because all they did was train in that world. Right. Um, so I'm not like, and by the way, I think it's important to think about like, it's, it's like the top 1% of the 1% that become the pros, but a lot of them go broke because they don't know what to do with the money and they don't know what to do afterwards. Right. So they also need to kind of think about, Hey, how do I get better? How do I train? How do I take those skills and go make a bigger impact on the world? So. That's awesome. Because as, as you said, like education is broken, right? And so, because maybe in the, in the future, I'm, I was, I'm also interested in creating a product or a service like big, on a big scale that helps people, young people that are feel lost. And I think many of us can relate to it because as you said, education is broken and people don't really have a path to what they want to do. They don't have the right skills to prosper either emotionally, economically, financially, or in any other field in, a, in an abundant way, let's call it like that. So I, I think there could be a lot done with ideas like yours, Eric, with the book and connecting that world for young people to, to life and how you can prosper in life, applying those same things that you learned in your world, so to say, to, to real life. I think yeah, that's, thing. that's well said, Max, and, and and thank you for that. And by the way, like the point with the book too, and I, you know, I'll, I'll keep this brief. Is look, I'm not trying to get a New York Times or Wall Street Journal out the gate. I I want this to have a Lindy effect type of thing, right? Where you know how to win friends and influence people. If if something lasts for a hundred years, it's going to last for another hundred years, right? So I, I probably have to do an update on this because the games I'm talking about are dated now. So I think we'll have to make it a little more evergreen next time. But the point is, if this can help, if the book 
can be if it does well with people right you got three billion people um if there's even a good chunk of those they rally around the book that is now a new community and then we can rally the movement forward right so that's that's kind of the long-term play with this i'm thinking long term i'm not just going to say i'm going to spend five hundred thousand dollars to get on the new york times or you know fifty thousand dollars to get on the wall street journal bestsellers like i want to do it naturally and that's the goal so yeah that's awesome max thanks for that question man appreciate it thank you seven cool so again, if you have any questions for Eric, pop them in the Q and A, and I you do so. Right, you can go first, Seth. Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. I was gonna say. So you're talking about your your long term kind of idea with this book. Like, what's your what's your game plan <laughs> uh, for um, the next you know two, three, five years of where you see this moving? Like, like building up this amazing community of people. Like, what do you want to do with it? How do you want to serve them? What do you see yourself doing with that? Yeah. You know what's interesting? I think it's it's really good to learn from both the tech world and the internet marketing world because you, if you straddle the line, like, by the way, when I first started learning SEO, I would try the black hat stuff. And then I was like, oh, what if I combine the black hat stuff with the white hat stuff to so do it in a, in a white hat way? And then it just looks really good, right? And so, you know, with the book, talking about thinking long term, I went with the, and I might have to ask you to re repeat your question, but um, I decided to go with a hybrid publishing model. So right in the middle. So you have traditional publishing and you have self-publishing, right? Self-publishing, I'm like, okay, I'm too lazy to do all the work, right? And then traditional publishing, I don't get the rights. So I can't do all the interesting marketing stuff I wanna do. Plus I don't like, I don't really care so much about the money part, but they take most of the money and then they give me advance. I don't care about the advance um, and they control the design aspect too, right? But with hybrid, they do everything from soup to nuts. So this, this physical copy that I have over here, I got to choose this character over here. I picked a design, like, you know, all this, all these little elements, these nuances I had control over. And now I can do whatever I want from a book funnel perspective. Plus they had a sales team um, out there pushing and now they're pushing for international as well. So the reason I wanted to do that is because this ties into the long-term play. What if I want to have um, this book's about habits right now we're building a journal that's tied to it. Right. So there's an upsell component, but beyond that, if they want to continue to level up with me, at least sure, I'll train you like the natural progression for me, my superpower is marketing. So you can either, you know, come with me or you can go, you know, take your habits and go do something else. Right. Um, and then it, it leads all the way up to this income share agreement with marketing school and the whole long-term play here. The reason why I got, I got the domain leveling up.com and there's a game within getting that domain too. Um, is my missions to level up the world. And I will never accomplish that mission in my life, but I can wake up every single day saying, oh, that's all I need to do. I'm just gonna level up the world, right? Whether it's teaching, like, you know, doing even doing this is partly leveling up the world, right? Um, but that's what it is. Dude, that is awesome. I, I wanna make a, a quick note for people watching and listening is um, the fact that you're, you have such a clear why and you have a clear mission and purpose but it's something that you can't necessarily fulfill. It's not like a, an outcome. It's a lifelong thing. I think that's like one thing that a lot of people are missing. It's like, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's like, oh, I want to provide for my family. Okay, cool. So then they do that. And then they go, okay, well, I want to buy a fancy car, buy a fancy house. Okay, now what? And then they, they feel empty. And it's like, well, what's next? Well, what's next is you find something that is of something that you're moving towards that's not necessarily an end game. It, you can't, you know, necessarily achieve it in this lifetime, but every day you can go to sleep knowing you got just a little bit closer. And for you, that's leveling up the world. And I love that so much. And by the way, so thank you for that. Um, I got, but so Howard Marks, who's the founder of Activision, he's the forward of, in, in the book. And, you know, he said his mission is to help entrepreneurs reach their dreams, right? Accomplish their dreams. I'm like, when I first heard that, I was like, that's so broad. And then immediately after he told the audience, so this is when we had our first event, um, Stefan. And um, he's like, but that's what a mission is. It's supposed to be unattainable and, um, you know, it just keeps you going. So anyway, yeah. just wanted to give you some context. Dude, that, first of all, that, that, that is so cool. I, I, I checked out your website and you had a testimonial from the founder of Activation. I'm like, damn, <laughs> damn, dude, that's intense. Um, and I, so, yeah, going back to my, my original question, because I, I love hearing your, um, what, what your goal is and your, your mission. Uh, so how do you see yourself really attaining that um, or at least kind of creating that level of change of helping other people level up over the next three to five years, especially with this book? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think for the next three to five years, so you know, I, I actually need to rewrite my vivid vision. So there's this book called vivid vision, which is great. Um, and oh, wow. you know, it's a three-year plan. And so I wrote mine in 2018 and it's very specific. Here's, here's how I see the company looking. Um, you know, 
I'm visualizing everything, right? I'm calling my shot and like, here's the revenue we're going to be at. Here's enterprise value, all this stuff. Here's what our team's going to look like, right? Um, so that's been defined and we've largely hit, like we still have a couple more months to go and um, you know, we just started 2021. So I guess we have more than a couple months, um, but that's what it is. And um, what I would say long-term again is going with the Chuck Feeney goal, right? That's my long-term play. That's the, the, the big, hairy, audacious goal. Can I give away 8 billion? Who knows if I'm going to hit it or not, right? But, um, and then every year I just track my enterprise value because again, if my enterprise value is 8 billion, okay, there you go. I'll just sell it and just give it all away. Um, and, and so that's what it is. I, like, look, you look at the, the most successful people in the world, they don't like, look at what Bill Gates is doing, right? He has a book coming out on climate change, right? And you have some of the top billionaires in the world, like trying to solve that. So they're trying to solve the world's biggest problems. And then they're giving away a lot of money in the process. Um, so I think that's great. It's just a fun game to play. They're just continuing to play. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think one thing too, I mean, there's, there's definitely the whole like Maslow, like hierarchy of needs thing, right? So back to your point, Ed, with like, you know, because I get that when you when you have, you know, income insecurity or food insecurity or whatever it is, then it's understandable that your focus is I want enough money for my family to be, you know, to have stability and to be taken care of. Um, and then, you know, as you level up, right, um, and you get that nicer place, and eventually it's like you've got like fancy cars and the mansion, all that shit. But yeah, it does it you're going to get to that why anyway. I think a cool piece of advice maybe is like for anyone who's at least got stability in their lives, like, you know, really thinking about the why now and that, that mission now, because even if like, say, you know, you're in like a, a two bedroom apartment and you're very comfortable and you pay like a thousand dollars a month for it. And you're like, this is fucking great. Right. That's awesome. And so even if your goal is like, I want to be in like a 6,000 square foot, like fuck you mansion, like, cool. You'll probably get there. But if you start, I just, I wish I had started earlier of trying to make an impact. Right. I think, I think it's never too early to start. Um, and, and to look at like, you keep leveling up your why and your mission and everything like that. That's just a thought I had listening to you talk here. But by the way, that's huge. Right. Cause here's another reframe. I think the way, like, at least when I started learning internet marketing, it was the people I I was learning from. I mean, it, it seemed to be all about me, 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 me. Right. It's like, look at my car, look at my house, look at all these things. But then you realize the biggest hack is just having a, a, a mission that's much bigger than yourself. And then like all those things naturally come because you shoot for the stars and you land on the moon. And so, but when you make it me, 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 like all the shit falls apart, right? Like all the stuff people take, talk about culture. You don't think about culture. You don't think about the, the livelihood of your team. You don't, you just think about you the whole time. What product can I launch next? What, what affiliate thing can I push next? Right. It becomes this really toxic cycle. And that to me is not leveling up. It starts to bring you into kind of a, let's just call it the dark side. So. Totally. Yeah. Completely yeah. agree. Um, cool. If you have a question from Lisa, we'll get to that in a second. Um, one question I'd have for you, Eric, before we get to Lisa's question, I mean, just where, cause you are so immersed in the, in the world of, you know, digital marketing and everything. Um, I know we talked about education and blockchain and things like that. Um, how do you see the whole world of digital marketing changing over the next like 10 years though? Cause I mean, I sort of feel like we're at the precipice of some massive shifts, right? You talked about a lot of colleges yeah. eventually going away and I can see that happening. Um, what are other changes you see kind of coming up if you were to look into your yeah. crystal ball? Um, you know, the I, that, that's a great question. I think community is probably the number one thing. So you, you actually see some, uh, a lot of VCs like Andreessen Horowitz, they're investing in a lot of community-based companies. Um, you know, you hear a lot of these people investing in the passion economy. It starts because the shift for attention is, is going from kind of the publishers and it's going over kind of into, you know, big influencers, right? Let's use Mr. Beast as an example from YouTube. He's got like, you know, 60 million subscribers or getting close now. Um, so I think being able to build a community is, is a moat and it's unfair. So for example, the mastermind that you have, it's not just you speaking to the, the crowd, right? It's actually, there's, there's networks within that and people are connecting and they're helping each other. And so they stay for the community. Like community is a form of, of retention to me. Um, and I think, you know, that's what I'm trying to do with leveling up is we're trying to build a community. We're trying to build a movement around it. Um, and by the way, like we've seen the success with click funnels, a big piece of it it's not because it's the most sticky product, the most amazing product. It's because he's built an amazing community around it, right? Whether you you like ClickFunnels or not, that's that's a fact. Um, and so, you know, a lot of products and services, um, if you lead with the audience first, you lead with the community first, then you, you can figure out whatever else that you want to help them with afterwards or serve them with, right? You're not building in a vacuum anymore. You're just helping people. And that's what life is all about. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome answer. And I, it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, I think about, I went through a kick a few months back where I'm reading about all these like predictions for trends for the next decade. And, 
you start reading about um, like AI and there's a book called the future is faster than you think or whatever. And it's all about how, right. There's a like very futuristic type stuff. Um, yep. but like, all right, well, what, what are the, the things that aren't going to get replaced by AI? And I think it's like, I hadn't really thought about community in that context, but community is one of those things. And then it's like experiences too. Right. So even for me, I think actually like, like offline experiences and companies that offer really kind of really curated, unique offline experiences that are built around communities are going to, do extremely well in the decades to come, right? Because that can't be replaced. Like eventually copywriters will get replaced by AI. That's just the truth. I don't think it's gonna happen overnight. I think you've got a couple, you know, a couple of years, like a decade, um, but communities of people um, doing worthwhile goals and probably harnessing the power of AI, right? Like um, I think that is is what it looks like. So yeah. Um, yeah. community fits in really well. You know, like people, um, you can either fight what's gonna come or you can kind of embrace it. So like AI is inevitable. And I think um, one thing that can't be taken away ever, sure, AI can iterate on data and they can have their own form of creativity, but the top copywriters in the world or the top marketers in the world, when you think about actually community is that's, that's a piece of creativity, right? It's, it's human beings coming up with the different experiences. Um, I think, you know, AI can certainly mimic, but they need data sets to work off of, right? We're not close to general AI yet where they can basically act like human beings and think for themselves. We're not there yet. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get there, my bet is we probably will. I don't know. But um, I think, you know, I remember I was at a TED conference uh, two, three years ago, and the one of the world's leading experts on, on AI, Kai-Fu Lee, he was just talking about how, look, you can't replace kind of the love and the creativity that human beings have. Um, everything else, though, like, you know, is subject to kind of being replaced, right? So we're going to see a big shift in the future for sure. Okay. I, oh, Stefan, are you... Just muted or? I'm I muted, think, but Eric's you know, I remember right? I was at a TED conference uh, two, oh, three sorry. years ago. And the... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's my answer, Stefan. I don't know if that helps. That was great. Sorry, I had a little bit of an audio glitch. I thought I could hear Eric fine. Yeah, but... I, I, he, he, everybody stopped for a sec. So maybe, maybe it was my side, my bad then. I don't know. But yeah, I heard what, uh, I think so. No, Eric, I mean, that, that's, that makes perfect sense. So um, that's an awesome answer. By the way, Jamila mentioned in the Facebook Live, Jam Poet, Jamila, love you, Jamila. Um, she just pre-ordered the book as well, which is awesome. Um, she had put, she mentioned, I want to read her other comment. If I actually I closed it, but she basically just talked about how she sees this book helping so many people, and I, I totally agree with it. Yeah, um, that's the hope. Yeah, I think I think I think you'll do it, man. I think you you know how to reach people. Um, and uh, and it's an amazing mission and an amazing book. Um, Eric, cool. let's go to Lisa's question. I'd love to hear what Lisa yeah. hear from Lisa. Uh, so uh, Lisa says that she cannot uh, come on the live because she's on the go, but she wants to hear the answer. So I'll read out for you uh, from Lisa. Eric, have you ever felt like you leveled up in life, but then you made a decision that made you level down again? How do you deal with situations like that? Great question. Yeah, great question. I mean, I think it happens all the time. There's like if you're trying to for right as an example right now i'm trying to you know buy different companies right so it could be um you know complementary agency uh businesses that will help us with managed services for our software right there's there's a component where one plus one equals three um or maybe i can go buy capabilities where you know they're really good at recruiting people in like a european country where the costs are lower right so there's a game within it but you know there's a lot of these scenarios where um, I'll lose the deal. And that certainly feels like I, I took a step back and, or like, let's say again, I'm trying to recruit someone amazing and then they get another job offer quicker. Right. But, and th this happened recently too. And then um, we had our team change the hiring process where we just adjusted a couple of things in the game, in the process. And we sped things up a lot faster. Right. Um, and so that's part of the game, but how I learned to reframe this when there's, when I'm taking a step back or let's say, you know, recently someone um, I, I kind of got, rejected by this person twice. So this person invited me to speak at a conference a couple of years ago, and then he rescinded the invite and I saw the thing still happen. So I remembered that. And then, um, you know, I, I didn't like confront him about it or anything. And then recently for the book, he's like, oh yeah, can I get on my podcast? The day of the podcast, he's like, hey, we're not going to do the podcast. Why don't you come speak to my Facebook group? Right? So I got, I got that pulled back from me twice. What I've learned to do with this over the years, and probably this is like a sick, you know, upbringing thing from my, my Asian parents, but, um, I learned to reframe and I posted this to LinkedIn today as, you know, every, every single setback being fuel, right? If it's like psychological pain, like give me more, right? Like poker taught me like, Oh, I, I need more pain. Right. Like it's, it's like, it's like, if you're going to give me it, I'm going to learn how to reframe it into motivation and I'm going to get stronger and stronger. Right. I'm not going to 
you know, I'm not going to hold any grudge towards you or anything like that. You're just giving me fuel because most of the time when setbacks happen, people get all down, they start to feel bad about it. So for me, I have this weird reframe where I'm just like, yeah, give me more. No, that's, that's great. Um, you know, and I think another thing that I was thinking as you're, as you're saying, answering that is, um, in poker related to one of the things I always enjoyed so much with poker is, um, like you're gathering information and it's, it's like the game isn't over. Like you haven't really lost until you get up from the table. Right. So, you know, if you run out, run out money, that's one thing to so manage your money, right. Thinking like an investor, but even if you're playing poker and you lose a hand to somebody, but you gather very valuable information, then like, like I, you know, I kind of love that when you're like, okay, I lost, I folded, or I saw what they had even better. Right. Like I called it on the river and I lost, but I know this person's going to be here for a while. And now I, you know, I have this insight. Um, so it's like, you didn't really lose. I mean, it's the whole, like, you know, losing in the battle versus the war type thing. Um, but I think it's, it's so true. It, it's all these sort of setbacks are just, it just goes back to failure, right? Every failure gets you closer to a win. And so if you look at it that way, they're not necessarily leveling down. I mean, if you catch yourself, I think going through a bunch of negative patterns and things in your life and you have to course correct, you have to be self-aware and be like, Oh, Hey, right. That's one thing. But as far as like setbacks go in general, it's like, those are, those aren't failures unless you let them be, unless you give up, if you give up, then it's a failure. But if you don't give up, then it's not a failure. It's just like data, right? It's a data point. Like you would talk about, you're gathering data and then you can be better moving forward. I mean, that, so that's all well said. I, I think um, there's certainly, I mean, I was just thinking about downward spirals, right? And so in poker, I remember when I was about 19 years old, um, I had taken a, um, a satellite or not a satellite. I, I basically turned $0 into $50, right? So I had to beat like 500 people or whatever. So I was broke at the time. And that $50, I made it into $15,000. And I'm sure Stefan, you've seen this happen a couple of times. And then I promptly took that money. I, I thought I was good enough to play the high stakes. So I lost that 15 K in the next three days or whatever. I went through a downward spiral where I'm like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? And so I started taking out um, credit cards and um, I took out like 25 K in credit card, uh, I just credit card debt. And um, I lost that money too. And I, I couldn't pay it back. So my credit score dropped to 480, right? So it just got worse and worse and worse um, where debt collectors called me, right? So that's a scenario where I think I kept compounding on the mistake without trying to like stop and actually think about, hey, what's going on right now? And what are the second and third order consequences if I do this? I didn't think about that. So I think um, that's really helpful to have that mental model to understand that, hey, if you're going to do something, what are the ripple effects? Totally. No, that's, that's an... Excellent point. Um, and yeah, I definitely can relate to a lot of that from the throw of poker. When you go sit down at the table, you shouldn't be at, but you're like, hey, I think I'm good enough. And you're like, oh shit, I'm not. Yep. Um, that's awesome. Uh, Ed, I, you know, if we, everyone wants to put a question, if not, we'll wrap up in here in just a minute. I mean, I've enjoyed it so much. Remember everyone's leveling up, um, levelingup.com, leveling up how to master game of life with Eric. This has been awesome. I know Conrad said, looking forward to this book as well. Um, and you know, yeah, I can't wait to order it. as soon as we're done here. I'm going to go order my copy. Um, but uh, yeah, let's, we can wrap. Max, I saw you had a question kind of about generally getting to like um, 100K a month and how to break that mark. And you kind of talked about it, looks like in the context of copywriting. Um, we can answer that. Let's answer that question and then we'll we'll wrap up here. So For sure. I'll say from a copywriting perspective, I want to hear Eric's perspective too, of course. Um, you're talking like, how do you make 100K a month as a copywriter? Uh, it's really just leveling up, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's to get better and better and better and then raise your rates correspondingly. So if you look at, um, he mentioned a guy in our mastermind, Randall Pruitt, who I think made like, he, I don't know if he did hundred K a month, maybe like, you know, 600,000, 700,000, just purely as a copywriter, which is very hard to do. Like that's a, like high fees. Right. Um, and basically, you know, Randall joined our mastermind, got part of a community. And then he stopped, he actually broke his bad habits. Going back to that. Cause I would look at his copy and he was in our mastermind for the first like six months, but he kept doing the same stuff that he was doing before, which hadn't been working for him. And I finally had like a pretty like a kind of uh, terse conversation, not terse, but just like, I, I kind of like did the come to Jesus. And I was like, Hey, like you're in this mastermind, you're paying this money, you want to get better, but you keep going back and doing the same stuff you did before that wasn't working. You have to change or you have to break the pattern or you're going to keep getting the same uh, results. And he finally kind of got that uh, and leveled up. But I think in general, like it's mastering your craft, getting better. Like we talked about, like, like before you go to the next level of the game, you have to really, you know, master that level. Um, and you know, that that's really it. And then raising your rates correspondingly, it's really the, the way to make a hundred thousand a month as a copywriter is if, you know, 
the best side, best is that somebody pays you a hundred thousand and you do one project or they pay you 50,000, you do two projects. And then if you can work in royalties and other stuff like that, amazing, but you only get there by leveling up, leveling up, leveling up. And like, you know, I used to charge $149 and then $97 sometimes. And, you know, it just, it takes time as well. That, that'd be my answer, Eric. I'd love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah. So there's, um, there's a copywriter that I actually, uh, that, that works with us right now. And so, excuse me. So we have a, uh, we, we have training and then what he does is he's, he basically takes a cut of the sale, right? So a, yes, you have to level up and get pretty good. You have to definitely increase your pricing because pricing is, is one of the highest levers that you can pull. Um, but he, you know, he switched over to purely performance where he takes 20 to 30% of each sale. And I know with one of his clients, they're paying him like 35 to 40 grand a month and that's all commission. Right. And he just has like, you know, maybe three, four other clients and he's over a hundred K. Um, and so he doesn't need to manage a lot and he's just, all he's doing is he's kicking out emails to generate sales and he's done a really good job. I mean, he's done a good job with our stuff. Um, and you know, we love performance copywriters cause it's, it's the incentives are aligned. Um, we don't pay until he performs and then he gets a cut from it. Right. It just seems to make a lot more sense. This is why I hate most marketing agencies. And this is why I really didn't want to take over single grain. Cause I hate agencies again. Right. I think the model is broken. Um, I think if you have a stock portfolio where it's like 80%, maybe the retainers, and then you have maybe 10 to 20% are pay for performance, that's safe. But you can like this other copyright, he's completely pay for performance. Right. And I'll tell you one more thing. Some of the agencies over here um, that are doing paid media, they're um, what one of my friend's company does uh, $25 million a year and he has 10 employees. Right. So think about that. The revenue per employee is so high. It's like a tech company almost. And there's another friend, his company does about $500 million a year. He has 333 employees. Right. And so, but when you look at that, you know, $2.5 million per employee versus like 150 to $200,000 for the standard agency, um, massive difference, right? You're looking for efficiencies here. So I'm, I'm getting a little kind of more advanced, but I'm, I just want you to think ahead too. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, I mean, yeah, just thinking about revenue per employee, like those metrics are just so important. Um, awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Everyone again, had Eric Sue as my guest today. You can, um, oh, Eric, I mean, besides levelingup.com where they can get your book, What's the best way for people to, to follow you, connect with you, things like that? Yeah. So levelingup.com is great. We also have a levelingup.com slash bulk page if you want to buy a bunch and there's like a bunch of other stuff in there. Um, but you can hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at Eric O-S-I-U. Fantastic. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Ed Ray, thank you for being my co-host as always. He's great. I'm going to go talk, Eric. Sorry, um, sorry, Ed. I saw you like you put your mouth up to the mic, but I wasn't sure. But yeah. No, no. Just thank you. Thank you. Yeah, always good and thanks for everyone who joined us today and who's going to be watching the replay. If you are watching this on YouTube later, make sure that you leave a comment. Uh, let Eric and myself and Ed know what you got from this episode. Make sure you hit the like button. If you're not subscribed, subscribe to my channel. Uh, same thing for iTunes. Make sure you, uh, you know, leave a review. We'd love that. And uh, other than that, we'll see everybody um, not next week because I'll be at my comic store event, but the week after that. So thank you, everybody. All right. That's just about it for today. Before we finish, though, let me share a little bit more about how you can stay in touch with me. I have a private email list where I share high-level tricks, strategies, and insights about copywriting, entrepreneurship, mindset, and more. In fact, often my podcasts are based on topics I first emailed out to my list weeks or even months earlier. So if you want to get brand new stuff from me every single day, go to stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe. These emails are often upwards of a thousand words, and I send them every day. So make sure you really can commit to engaging with me on that level. But as long as you can, and you should, because I do drop a ton of value in these emails, go apply to join my list today. And again, the web address is stephanpaulgeorgi.com forward slash subscribe. And in case you don't know how to spell my name, which is okay, it is S-T-E-F-A-N, Paul, and then my last name is georgi, G-E-O-R-G-I.com. So stephanpaulgeorgi.com dot com forward slash subscribe and I will see you in my email list.